0: Amen. Amen. Appreciate that so much. We're going to be in Mark chapter 8 this morning. Mark chapter 8. I encourage you to join me in turning there. We're going to be looking at really our third account, uh, pointing to the simple reality that when Jesus Christ came, uh, he came not just for the Jews or not for a particular people group, he came for all who believe. And so uh, we're going to be looking at our, our third account, really, of that, same idea. And this is an account that is uh, commonly known as the feeding of the 4,000. We looked at the feeding of the 5,000 before. Uh, This is the feeding of the 4,000. And a different event, different occurrence, Uh, a lot of the same ideas and themes take place here, um, but a different group. So uh, Mark 8, beginning in verse 1, if you would follow along as I read this aloud. Mark 8, verse 1, in those days, the multitude being very great, Having nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples unto him, and saith unto them, I have compassion on the multitude, because they have now been with me three days, and have nothing to eat. If I send them away, fasting to their own houses, they will faint by the way. For diverse of them came from far. And his disciples answered him, From whence can a man satisfy these men with bread here in the wilderness? And he asked them, How many loaves have ye? And they said, Seven. And he commanded the people to sit down on the ground, and he took the seven loaves and gave thanks and break and gave to his disciples to set before them, and they did set them before the people. They had a few small fishes, and he blessed and commanded to set them also before them. And they did, and so they did eat and were filled. And they took up the broken meat that was left, seven baskets, and they that had eaten were about four thousand, and he sent them away. Straightway he entered into a ship with his disciples and came into the parts of Dalmanutha. The Lord bless the reading of his word this morning. You know, this uh, group that we're talking about here uh, was different than the previous group when we looked at the feeding of the 5,000. The feeding of the 5,000 was a uh, a Jewish audience. Uh, here in this case, the feeding of the four thousand. Remember, Jesus had had left uh, back at the end of uh, latter half of Mark seven. He had left where he was previously on the side of the Sea of Galilee, went up around the, the Sea of Galilee to the region of Tyre and Sidon, and all of that had had taken place um, right after the Jewish leaders had come from Jerusalem to come and see Jesus. In, in essence, to to check him out. And uh, he wasn't following their rules. They weren't washing their hands and doing the ceremonial cleansing and all the man-made religion things. And so they got mad. And uh, they called him out. Jesus responded. He calls them hypocrites. And, uh, and so in, in spite of all that, uh, Jesus then begins going to this region of the Gentiles. You think they were mad before when he wasn't following their man-made religion? Now he, a Jew, a, a religious leader is going to the Gentiles. And uh, there was a reason that they were so mad about that. They, they didn't like Gentiles. In fact, you could say they didn't care for them at all. Certain differences and differences that get magnified between people groups. You know, um, one of the differences that was going on had, had to do between different races in that day. Right, the Jewish people and the surrounding community of uh, those who were were the Gentiles. Uh, there were certain differences of race that took place there. I don't know if you uh, watched the news this week, we had the incursion on the capitol I don't know what uh, other terms if you looked at that crowd, they were mainly white, right and they went in there and they jumped over walls and knocked down uh, doors and broke windows and stole podiums and all of those things. Uh, you know, immediately there were people who were calling it an exercise in white privilege. I don't know if you saw that. It, it immediately became uh, about race. Some some were suggesting even that if those storming the Capitol had been black, they would have been fired upon. Um, I'm not sure that Ashley Babbitt, the 14-year-old Air Force vet who uh, was shot and killed, would have agreed that those differences would have been so great, but uh, uh, regardless, many people called those in the capital racists, and uh, of course there was the presence of the Confederate battle flag, and uh, that stoked many, uh, uh, maybe inflamed many uh, passions in regard to the response in that day. Uh, Police officers were injured in the process. Uh, One died during what took place there wasn't long ago, across the country, we had Black Lives Matter protests across the nation's buildings and vehicles were burned during that process. Doors were broken down. Glass was broken. Police officers were injured. Uh, some died. Uh, some protesters died as well. There were grievances about racial injustice, and whether you believe it to be real or perceived, they were aired during that time. And you probably have strong feelings in these areas. You probably have strong thoughts. And I'll even go one further. You likely probably identify with one of those groups more than the other. That's not unusual. You're probably more likely to come to the defense of one of those two groups and vilify the other one. Why? Well, more likely than not, you're probably supporting the group that looks like you. Just a simple fact of the matter. That's one of the things about being sinful people in a fallen world. We are more likely to support the group of people who looks like us. And that wasn't any different in Jesus' days. The Jewish people did not like people who were not Jewish. They did not view them favorably. In fact, the Jews called the Gentiles dogs. That was the term that they used. Right, that, that's not unusual today for people to be called animals. Um, Anya, growing up in Poland, was in a minority group uh, as a Christian, right? an evangelical Christian. And Catholics in Poland would refer to evangelical Christians as cats. And so it wasn't unusual for Christians going to church to be meowed at or different cat sounds being thrown. Well, recently, even today, in, in our nations, whether it was the Black Lives Matters protesters or those storming the Capitol, I've heard plenty of, of animal descriptors being used to describe both of those groups, whether it was from the right or the left. All right, those terms just seem to, to flow out when people don't look like us or act like we think they should. The Jews in that day wanted nothing to do with the people who were non-Jewish. Jesus was Jewish. Now let's remember, he was born into a Jewish family. He came to Jewish people. And... His teaching his ministry was to the Jews. He would teach primarily in the synagogue at first, and then he was in Jewish towns going to Jewish people. He lived under Jewish customs. Did Jesus come to the Jews? Yes. John 1 11 says he came unto his own and his own received him not. He was rejected by his own people. So he leaves his own people he goes to the land of Tyre and Sidon. All right, this is Gentile land. First, he heals a woman with an unclean spirit. Jewish custom, he shouldn't have even been talking to her. Not only that, he, he heals her. Why? Wow, he has compassion on one who believes. He goes past Tyre, further up into Gentile territory, into Sidon. It's an area where there's only Gentiles. The Jews would never venture that far. Matthew 15, 30 and 31 says this way, great multitudes came unto him, having with them those that were lame, blind, dumb, maimed, and many others, and cast them down at Jesus' feet. He healed them, insomuch that the multitude wondered, and they saw the dumb to speak, the maimed to behold, the lame to walk, the blind to see, and they glorified the God of Israel. Hear that they glorified the God of Israel. This wasn't their God. This wasn't until they saw who he was and what he could do, and then they believed, and they glorified him. And, and we saw in our account going back to to Mark seven that Jesus healed this deaf man who who could not speak properly. Uh, he he could barely speak, and and he heals them. And, and Mark seven thirty seven says, and and they were beyond measure astonished, saying, He hath done all things well. He maketh both the deaf to hear and the dumb to speak. These are Gentiles. They're amazed at Jesus. Many of them believe in Jesus. And Mark, in this gospel account, is writing primarily to a Gentile audience. And they would have likely heard this account about this one Jesus who identifies as Yahweh, the one who has been known as the God of the Jews. And they likely would have been, been likely to just write it off. Wait, no, that's, that's the Jewish God. Right? That's what they believe. That's the Jewish God. And yet, Mark wants his Gentile audience to know something. Jesus may have come to the Jews. But he wants to be the Savior of all who believe. See, Jesus came for all people. And our account today is a, is a continuation of this, this very idea, going back to, to not just uh, Tyre, not just Sidon, but now the region right there east of the Sea of Galilee. This is a count that often is called the feeding of the 4,000. Um, it's different. It's a different event. It's a different location. It's a different people group than the feeding of the 5,000. Uh, but you'll see similarities in what takes place. At the very beginning, we see that we have a consistently compassionate Christ. Verse 1 says, In those days, the multitude being very great and having nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples unto him and saith unto them, I have compassion on the multitude because they have now been with me three days and have nothing to eat. All right, so, so at this time, right, this is, this is in those days, the, still the same region. Jesus likely on the eastern side of the Sea of Galilee now. He, he has a crowd of people who have been listening to his teaching. He is teaching Gentiles and declaring the truth to them. He is declaring to them the word of God, and they've been there for three days. This is a pretty desolate area. Not a whole lot of towns around. There's not a whole lot of places to go and, and even buy food. And yet they're out there in this wilderness area. Three days they're out there. But you know... Something moves in Jesus. It's that word, right, toward the beginning of verse 2, I have compassion on the multitude. There's no descriptor, no adjective about Jesus' ministry that is more often used than this term of compassion. We have a compassionate Savior. This is a word that, that means that, that you are, are so moved to, with emotion at what's going on, that you are moved to act. Right? G- Jesus wasn't just, oh, boy, that's bad, right? Oh, boy, I hate that they're hungry. He, he, is, he is moved with compassion, so much so he feels it on the inside. And that, that is literally what this word means. And so he sees their plight. He, he feels it on the inside, and he acts on it. You know, in our day-to-day, there's in general a lack of compassion. Too often, and, and perhaps it's just because we, we see so much all the time. You know, it, 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 it's, you, you turn on the news, right? You turn on the news and watch the news. You're like, how am I supposed to feel compassion for that much bad? It, it, we, it's almost like we just get numb to it right? People dying, car crashes, all of these things that are happening all around us, and and we just get this almost information overload. I I don't know if I have enough compassion to deal with all the stories that are going to hit me in the day. It's It's a strange time to live in, in that sense. And yet, Jesus was someone who was compassionate. He wasn't hardened to the plight of the folks who were there. You heard about that Air Force vet dying in the Capitol. Did you feel compassion? You heard about the police officer that died in the Capitol. Did you feel compassion? You heard about the death of Black Lives Matter protesters. Did you feel compassion? See, compassion is a Christian emotion. It is an inherently Christian response. It it is a, in essence, a a love towards someone so much that it hurts when something happens. Anytime there's loss of life, we're talking about an image bearer, an image bearer of our God is dying. And that's how not, not how God intended it to be. That's not how God intended it to work. That wasn't the original plan. And yet sin came into the world and everything changed. I heard a description, a thing called the parable of the pit. I thought it spoke pretty clearly to this idea, the parable of the pit. There's a man walking through the woods and he fell into a a pit and he he could not get himself out. So a subjective person came along and he said, I feel for you down there in that pit. Then an objective person came along. He said, it's logical that someone would have fallen down into that pit. A Pharisee came along and said, only bad people fall into the pit. Confucius said, if you had listened to me, you would not be in that pit. Buddha said, the pit is only a state of mind. A realist simply said, that's a pit. A scientist calculated the pressure necessary to get him out of the pit. A geologist told him to appreciate the rock strata in the pit. The tax man asked him if he was paying taxes on the pit county inspector came by and asked him if he had a permit to dig the pit. An evasive person came along, avoided the subject of the pit altogether. A self-pitying person said, you haven't seen anything until you have seen my pit. An optimist came and said, it could be worse. A pessimist said, things will get worse. Then there's Jesus. Jesus walking along, seeing the man in the pit, simply knelt down, extended his hand, and pulled him out of the pit. See, this illustration is one that just points to the compassion of our Christ. You know, we're we're so likely to respond to events in, in different ways, and certainly there are different emotions that, that come up. There are aspects of any of these issues that need to be evaluated and, and discussed. I'm not saying that there should be no other feelings or thoughts other than compassion when there's loss of life we should be compa- feel compassion for those who have lost their lives when there's hardship we should feel compassion on those who are going through the hardship even if they kind of brought it on themselves as sometimes happens even if their decisions weren't really wise our jesus was compassionate And we need to be people who are compassionate. We could say it this way. If we're believers in Christ, compassion should be one of those things that are just part of what we do, what we feel. Why? Because there is no greater descriptor of Jesus Christ himself in the Bible. We have a compassionate Savior. And if you look like Jesus, if you want to look like Jesus... And we need to emulate his compassion. Secondly, we see that we have a consistently discipling Christ. Look back at what Jesus did right at the very beginning of this chapter. Chapter 8, verse 1. It says Jesus called his disciples unto him. Right, right at the beginning. He's ministering to the crowd. He, there is a teachable moment coming. And, and he doesn't leave the disciples out there on their own. Right? He, he says, Come. Come, get together. I want you to see this. He hasn't forgotten about them in the midst of the ministry. He he wants them to know what's going on. He he could have just done the miracle, right? He could have fed all the people. He could have said he said could have said eat and right all the food just appears. He could have done that, but he didn't. He calls the disciples together. He brings them together, and. And at the very heart, what is this discipleship? What does it mean to to disciple someone? Jesus is saying, I am helping you. Come to me, I will teach you something. I want you to learn something. I'm going to provide for you a a foundation that's going to help you for future ministry. That's the heart of what discipleship is. That's what it's all about. And so he, he brings them together for that purpose. You know, today we use different terms for that. We use, often hear the term today, uh, mentorship, right? That's what we often hear, being a mentor, right? A disciple is a learner sitting at the master's feet, and Jesus is the great teacher. He is providing for them the, the instruction that they need to follow after him in a way that pleases him. So let me ask you this. Who are you discipling? You look like Christ? You want to look like Christ? Jesus had disciples. He's called his followers to continue that process of making disciples. Who are you discipling? Who's the next generation that you're bringing along? Maybe it's somebody you led to the Lord. How are you helping them along the way? Maybe it's somebody else who is young in the faith. How are you helping them along the way? Who are you encouraging in the faith? Who are you intentionally saying, okay, I'm going to come alongside this one and teach them something about what Christian life looks like? Because there are things that you have learned and there are things that you know, if you've been following after Christ for any length of time, that would be helpful to the next generation. You say, well, I don't know who that to be, right? <laughs> Most people around me are a bunch of old Christians. Win somebody to the Lord. Share the gospel. Be intentional about seeing people saved and being built up in the faith. Help them on the very first step. Mark eight, one, Jesus called his disciples unto him. Saith unto them, I have compassion on the multitude, because they have now been with me three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away fasting to their own houses, they will faint by the way, for diverse of them came from far. And his disciples answered him, From whence can a man satisfy these men with bread here in the wilderness? You know that beginning those first three verses that we read sounds a whole lot like the feeding of the 5,000, right? There's a big group of people. They're hungry. What are we going to do with them? And the very heart of what's different here is is the audience itself. Remember, the feeding of the 5,000, Jesus had compassion on a Jewish audience. That's 5,000 men. So women and children there. Much larger group than that. Here, we've got 4,000. But they're Gentiles. I mean, in Israel in this day, Jesus would have been told, ah, just leave them. (laughs) They fall along the way, (laughs) so be it. It's not Jesus' response. He's not concerned about which nation they came from. He's moved with compassion on these people. And so, what, what he does here is he, he really asks a question to, to his audience. And in verses tw- 2 and 3, when, when he speaks to his disciples, the in- disciples interpret this as a question. He said, I have compassion on the multitude. You think that's teaching? <laughs> you better believe it. Why? Because they've now been with me three days, have nothing to eat. If I send them away fasting to their own house, they will faint by the way, for divers of them came from far. His disciples answered him. Why did they answer? Because they, they interpreted it as a question. Jesus, in essence, saying, All right, here's what's going on. What do you think we should do? And so the disciples respond. They answer him. They say, From whence can a man satisfy these men with bread here in the wilderness? Now, these were the same disciples that Jesus asked a similar question to back at the feeding of the 5,000. And uh, if, if, if you're looking for where that is, Mark 6, verses 35 and 36 give you that response. And the response there was basically, Lord, send them away. <laughs> right? When, when Jesus said, what, what do we do here back with the feeding of the 5,000? The disciples said, just send them away, Lord. Send them, let them figure it out. Let them go to the village, they'll figure it out. Right? When Jesus responded in verse 37 and said, You give them something to eat, they respond, Are we really going to spend eight months of our wages to feed this group? I mean, that, that's where their heart was at that moment. How did they respond here in verse 4? Mark 8, verse 4. His disciple answered him, From whence can a man satisfy these men? with bread here in the wilderness. From whence can a man satisfy these men with bread here in the wilderness? Now, commentators disagree about that response. Are they expressing doubt? Right? Jesus, where, where can somebody satisfy this crowd out here in the middle of the wilderness? We don't even have towns around this place. Is that what's going on? Are they doubting Jesus' power or ability? Some commentators take that position. I don't. I think instead what they're saying here when they say basically to Jesus, okay, where where can somebody satisfy these people in the wilderness? Jesus says, they're hungry. I'm moved with compassion. They need something to eat. And, and he says, all right, so what are we going to do? And the disciples say, well, what do you want us to do, Lord. Where, where where can somebody feel, feed these people? Tell us what to do. Another way of saying that is, yep, you're right. Yep, you're right. What do you intend to do? You're the one who can feed them. What do you intend to do? And and without missing a beat, and I, I think Jesus' response here is telling, because in verse 5, he just asked them, how many loaves have ye? And they said seven. He said, he doesn't stop and say, Oh, you didn't have compassion. Nothing like that. They just go right on to feeding them. seems the disciples have learned from the last time. They're moved with compassion for these Gentiles who were out in the field just like Jesus was. They're ready to serve them. Let's get it done. What is this? This is discipleship. You see, those disciples learned something from the last time to this time. And whereas before they had to be prepared to be ready to minister, this time they're ready. Lord, just tell us what to do. We we know you're the one who can provide bread in the wilderness. Just tell us what to do. So who are you discipling right now? This is so essential. This is the way that the church continues. This is the way that the church grows. Individuals reach out to others and they point them to Jesus Christ. They're saved, but then they can't just stay there. They can't stay baby Christians forever. They have to grow in the faith. Somebody has to come alongside them. My hope is that 2021 will be a year in which we begin greater discipleship processes. Some of you have been here long enough to remember back when we had Pastor Fant, Marshall Fant, our church consultant in. One of the primary things, points of emphasis that he emphasized on his report, and uh, I wasn't here then, but I just read the report, was that Grace Baptist Church needs to move to a model of consistently discipling, reaching out, and making disciples in the community. We've had a little bit of a slow start. COVID had a little bit to do with that over this past year in this area. But my hope is that 2021 will become a year where that process is taking place. Where if right now, if I were to ask you that question, are you discipling someone right now, and maybe your answer would be no, that by the end of the year, that answer would be yes. Let me encourage you to begin looking for those opportunities, whether that be somebody who's already here or whether that be somebody in the community that you know. There are people who have walked a little bit longer on that road of faith who can help us and instruct us and encourage us. I know people have done that in my life. There are people who are still doing that in my life. You may not have ever had that in your life. Maybe you just kind of picked it up. You know, it was a little less formal discipleship. It's not too late for you to help someone else along the way. So let's consider for a minute what was going on in, in the early church. You know, this, 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 this does seem kind of normal to us because, all right, they fed 5,000. All right, it happened. Okay, 4,000, no big deal that difference that this is a Gentile audience is a big deal. That is a big deal. And those reading the book of Mark who were Gentiles, to them, this would have been a big deal. Because all of a sudden, this Jewish God who's for the Jews becomes a God that's for me too. In fact, he's the God of anyone who believes. And I want you to think for a minute, going back to the early church, uh, we, we have the book of Acts going on uh, here in Sunday school, and we're going to see some of these things, but what was it that nearly ripped the early church apart? What was the big issue within the church? What caused the apostles to start not getting along a little bit and having some words with one another? What was it? Okay, reaching out to the Gentiles. And in particular, when you do reach out to the Gentiles and they get saved, what do they have to do? Do they have to be circumcised? Do they have to follow the Jewish law? Do they have to go through that process? All right, here's the issue. All right, so salvation is going outside of Israel. It's going to these other people groups that don't look like us and act like us. And once they're saved... Do they have to look like us and act like us? You know, if, if, I, I'd be, you know, you, you, you hear this kind of thing. I haven't heard it here, but I'm saying this kind of thing happens. Even if it's not said out loud, it's said inside, right? Oh, I, I'm really glad for that black person to come to Christ. I'd love for them to be at our church as long as they act like white people. That, that kind of thing, that kind of idea is out there. And, and you know what the Jews said about the Gentiles? I'm great with them being saved, but as long as when they come in after they're saved, if they get circumcised and they follow all the Jewish rituals and, you know, they start to look like Jews, then that'd be all right. We could put up with that. We could deal with that. That wouldn't be so bad after all. What's Jesus saying? Uh-uh-uh. That's not how it works. Jesus is the savior of all who believe. And that's it. That's the gospel. And that's what Paul fought for. That's what Paul spoke to those in Jerusalem on this very topic against this very thing. Jesus is the savior of all who believe. Well, pastor, they could come in, but it, these are just basic things. It's just common decency. You now you've got to talk right. Jesus is the Savior of all who believe. Well, it's just circumcision, it's just ceremonial washing. Certainly they could do that. Jesus is the Savior of all who believe. And the church is the place for all who believe. Jesus' disciples didn't wash. Jews were looking at them like they were barbarians. They were like dogs. Jesus didn't care. You think we're dogs? We'll go to the dogs. He left Israel. He walked straight up there to Tyre and Sidon. He declared the gospel. He declared the very word of God to the Gentiles. Savior is moved with compassion. Savior is constantly discipling. But you know, our Savior is also one who performs miracles. Verse 5 goes on, he says, He asked them, He said, How many loaves have ye? They said, Seven. He commanded the people to sit down on the ground. He took the seven loaves and gave thanks and break, gave to his disciples to set before them, and they did set them before the people. They had a few small fishes, and he blessed and commanded to set them also before them. So they did eat and were filled. They took up the broken meat that was left, seven baskets. And they that had eaten were about 4,000. He sent them away. Straightway he entered into a ship of his disciples. and came into the parts of Dalman-Yutha. Verse 8 says, they ate and were filled. Jesus didn't just give them a little. He filled them up. They were satisfied. And how much was left at the end? Seven baskets. If you remember at the end of the account of the feeding of 5,000s, there were baskets of food left over. But, you know, they were just regular plain old baskets. These baskets here, these are like giant baskets, right? These are, they, they, they are like fools. Like if you took a sleeping bag and turned that into a basket, that's what this would be. It's more food than was left over even at the feeding of the five thousand. Why in the world would Jesus leave more food at the end of the feeding of the 4,000 than he did to the 5,000 plus who were Jews? Why would he give more to the Gentiles? I could imagine that thought process going through the mind of a Jew reading this account. Verse 2 said, They had been with me three days with nothing to eat. Verse 3, Diverse. Many of them came from far. These people weren't from just the surrounding towns and villages. Some of them had further to travel than they did back at the feeding of the 5,000. And you know what happened? At the end of the third day, when they're about to go home, not only does Jesus fill them up, he leaves enough leftovers that they will have the food that they need on their journey back home. If they have multiple days' journey... Multiple days worth of food. They traveled further. They got more food for their trip back home. It's amazing. Jesus is miraculous both to the Jews and the Gentiles. He's miraculous to both people. He performs miracles for both people. Why? Because Jesus is the Savior for all who believe. Two things I want you to take away this morning and, and consider. One is this the reality is prejudice is a part of living in a sin cursed world. It, it is part of it. It is part of having a sinful heart. I'm not talking about just racial racial prejudice. I'm just talking about prejudging before we have the facts on any issue. were all kinds of theories being spewed this week when folks were in the Capitol. Nobody had any idea who people were or what they were, and they were saying they're from this group or that group, and nobody knew the answers, but people were just throwing stuff out. Are they racist or not racist? Are they Trump supporters or not Trump supporters? Are they Antifa or not? People didn't know. Just throwing things out. saying it's not my group, couldn't be us. Prejudice is part of a sinful heart and a sinful world. This is a reality that we all face and a danger that we all face. Would you just look at your heart today and say, God help me, God help me to see the world like you see it. Not, not on the basis of, of, of whatever I have, have been raised to think. Whatever I have thought in my past. You had times before you were saved. You told jokes that were racially motivated. Sinful. It's not a part of Christian life. Would you just ask God to help you in those areas? And this isn't unique to white people, right? (laughs) Every every group, people group, has groups where they do this to other groups as well. I'm not somehow singling out white people. Every group. We like what looks like us. Simple fact. Secondly, I want you to think about this area of discipleship. You know, Jesus was teaching and training the next generation, and we certainly need to do that in the area of of, uh, prejudice and racism. But we not only need to do it in that area, we need to be training up people in the Christian walk and the Christian life. I pray that today would be a day in which you just evaluate Father, would you use me in some way to help somebody, to help the next generation? Maybe you know who that is. Maybe he's put somebody in your mind. Would you say, God, would you help me in this area? Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful for your word. Father, the more we see of Jesus, the more we realize how far short we are, how sinful we are. Father, work in our hearts, change us, make us more Christ-like. May we be people who are moved with compassion. May we be people who root out these areas of racial prejudice or prejudice in, in any area. Father, may we see the higher calling which you've called us to, that of the church, that of your people, And we thank you that Jesus is the Savior of all who believe. Father, we do pray that you would continue to point out the need for those of us who have been in the faith for a while to disciple others, to point them to Christ. Father, every believer should be involved in discipleship. That is the model of Jesus. So Lord, help us to make disciples. Lord, whether that be winning individuals to Christ, that they become followers after you. Father, we pray that we would not only see people saved, see people grow in their walk with you. Father, may we take seriously the calling that you've given to us. Father, we're grateful for preaching. We're grateful for the word of God. Father, we know that you have put the church in place for believers to build up one another. Lord, we, were not, we would not be here today had that not happened in the past. So, Lord, we pray that you'd use us for your glory. As the pants begins to play, I just want to give you a moment to respond. No raising of hands. Just cry out to the Lord in prayer. And if he's worked in your heart, would you just talk to him? You need to confess and forsake sin. Do it now. If you want to ask for someone to disciple, ask the Lord for it. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the power of your word. We know that it is the power to change minds and hearts. Lord, may we be more like Christ. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.